were shot to death, along with two of their teachers, isn't it? As I've thought about that this past week, I'm saddened. I'm grieved for those families. I'm saddened, but you know what? I'm not surprised. If Ecclesiastes has taught us anything, it's that evil exists in this world. And while it perplexes us and shakes us, we at least have the ability to, to point at an atrocious act of violence like that and say, that is evil. You know who doesn't get to say that and have it mean anything? People who deny the existence of God. Evil? Compared to what? People, no matter what they believe, are hurting right now, and they have a right to. People are hurting and confused, and it's because they've been forced to look in the mirror and see humanity for what it really is again. And they'll blame anything else. I don't care if it's guns, video games, too much social media. We'll blame anything else but sin. Because if we concede that there is such a thing as sin and that sin is man's chief problem, that our sinful hearts are the root of all evil, then they'll have to acknowledge the one that they've sinned against and all the glass cathedrals of Humanism and self-worship will come toppling down in jagged little pieces. Everyone knows God exists. Romans 1 tells us that. But in our sin, we suppress the truth and unrighteousness, Paul says. We, we stuff what God has made plain to see. We, we, we ignore the obvious. We can't, though, as, as created beings who are created to know God... We cannot pretend there is no God because words like right and wrong and good and evil keep spewing from our mouths as if they mean anything apart from his existence and us being made in his image. We can't talk about those things in a world that happened by chance and where, you know, we're, we're just, human beings are just things that our, our ancestors were just pond scum in a prehistoric swamp. We know, everyone knows, everyone knows there is a God in heaven who made us and our biggest problem is we turned our backs on him. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Romans 1.21. That's an inconvenient truth. That's looking in the mirror. But it's a truth that as Christians, we, we know and we, we accept and we've admitted and we confessed and we've cried out for forgiveness and we've received it, but we've received so much more. We've received wisdom, knowledge, understanding, and an eternal vantage point that lets us witness things like what's gone on this past week and be saddened, but not surprised. And while people may mock us for our thoughts and prayers, 
We know whatever solutions they come up with won't ultimately matter, but ours will because God is in control. God can change hearts. God can fix wickedness. God actually possesses the divine power to intervene on man's behalf and to redeem a world gone bad. God hears our prayers and he's not indifferent toward evil and suffering. So Christian, keep praying. That wicked person that did that this past week, unmentionable, cruelty, he didn't get away with it. You know, people are upset right now because they want justice. And what we know is there will be justice for that man one day. I want y'all to hear me say this. I think it's important uh, because I love y'all. And, and what you're seeing and hearing, I'm seeing and hearing. And what you're thinking and feeling, I'm probably thinking and feeling too. And I want to make sure that all of us here at King's Church that we know how to think critically and biblically about the world because we're, we're going to continue to witness craziness in the world. And I want us not to despair. The world is not out of control. That's what I want you to hear. The world is not out of control. It is in its death throes of its rebellion against Jesus and its resistance to his kingdom coming and bringing justice and healing to the nations. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. He said it. Evil will not win. Evil is losing. But it should be no surprise to us that it's not giving up without a fight. Take heart and keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Looking at Ecclesiastes 9 this morning, it's just where we've landed, but it's just timely. Cool thing about God being sovereign, right? He can do neat little things like that. You know, we've talked as we've gone through Ecclesiastes, Solomon's been laying down arguments throughout the book about the sovereignty of God. He makes observations about the existence of evil in the world and the seeming meaninglessness of our short lives. But we quickly realize he's borrowing a worldview and interpreting the world and life apart from the divine maker and governor and judge. He wants the reader to understand it makes sense to despair if there is no God. And actually, it doesn't even make sense to despair because if there is no God, there's no meaning and there's no reason to despair or complain about the evils that we see take place under the sun. But he reveals there is a God in heaven who orchestrates all of our pleasures and our hurts. And he crafts them into something beautiful and redemptive that is packed with meaning and, and, and hope and purpose. I'm not sure who said it, but there was like an author or a poet or somebody that talks about God's providences, God's plan being like, a, uh, like he's weaving a tapestry and we only get to see it from the backside and it looks all random and rugged and ugly. But then one day we get to see the other side and we see what he's been putting together all along and it's beautiful to behold. So those who fear God will do well and it will end well with them. That's where we 
finished off last week in chapter 8, and and that brings us up to speed. The righteous should not despair. Those who fear God, like Solomon told us already, should not despair. It's those that who do not fear God that should despair. But the righteous should rejoice in God and his sovereignty and enjoy life as a gift from God. So even when our eyes are filled with tears, we can still smile. Title of the sermon this morning is Rejoice and Enjoy. Solomon begins this chapter by getting really personal. He starts talking about death again. We've been there before. In fact, if you have your Bible with you, you see the heading over this chapter is Death Comes to All. Solomon keeps talking about death. It's a, uh, he just knows it's what's on everybody's mind, right? He knows there's no one living who's not thinking about death. So he, he tells us how we should respond in light of these things. So let's, let's find that out. Let's read and find out. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. We'll read through verse 12. Now hear the words of the one true and living God. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white, let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he's given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life. And in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared in an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. People used to wrestle with their existence and questions about meaning, matters of eternity. That's not so much the case anymore. People used to ask, you know, who am I? And now, really, what people say is, I'm hurting. 
But it's that first question, who am I? Why am I here? That begins to make sense of the hurt that we all experience. It used to be admirable to deal with the deep questions of life, and now it's cooler to just ignore them. But ignoring them doesn't make them go away. You know, it's like I remember when I was little, real little, I don't remember being afraid of the dark necessarily, but I do remember on occasion laying in bed and my eyes would begin to play tricks on me and I would, I would think I, I saw something in my room, right? And as a child, child logic, I would just cover, cover my face, right? Or cover my eyes like this. Because, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, if I can't see it, whatever it is, it can't see me. Adults do that too. If I just put my guilt out of mind, it can't bother me. If I just put God out of mind, he can't get me. But it does... It doesn't really matter if you acknowledge God and his sovereignty or not. He is still God and he is still sovereign. You don't have to believe it in order for it to be true. And when your number's up, it's up. And you don't know the number, but he does. Solomon says in verse 3 that the same event happens to all, righteous and wicked alike. Death comes to us all. And he observes at the end of that same verse what should be obvious to us and not surprise us is that the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But what's he say in the very next verse? Verse 4. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. He says, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward. They have no more share and what is done under the sun, verses 5 and 6. It's, it's game over for the dead, but it's not game over for those still living. And for the unbelieving, that is incredibly good news. There's still time to repent. There's still time for your eyes to be open and to embrace the truth of the gospel. There's still time to bend the knee to Lord Jesus and be welcomed as a son or a daughter of the king. As Paul says in Romans 8, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That's available to the living, but not to the dead. And you know, Hebrews 9.27 tells us there are no second chances. And it is appointed that a man should die once and then comes judgment. The unbeliever who is still living has hope today. Praise God for that truth. That God turns none away who come to him. And I would encourage you if, you, if you have unbelieving friends or relatives, pray for them. Even, even if by all appearances it seems hopeless. From what we see here, as long as they're breathing, there's still hope. And God is able the believer has hope too, though. Having been given the new birth, a new heart, the Holy Spirit having been transformed by him, we respond to the evil in the world and the promise of certain death by rejoicing and enjoying. Let's read verse 7 again. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, by the way, because it reminds me that Jesus said, his burden is light 
and his yoke is easy. Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. God has already approved what you do because your stains of sin have been washed in the blood of the Savior. He has washed you up and he will continue to keep washing you up. You are pleasing in his sight. He approves of what you do because of what Christ has already done for you. How freeing is that? You know, we're instructed by Scripture to meditate on God's Word. We need to meditate on that. How freeing is it to know that we move about through life, able to be joyful and merry, walking in the light of the truth, and knowing that God approves of us? And verse 80 says, Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. These are outward signs of an inward joy, right? If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, that kind of thing. Verse 90 says, enjoy life with your spouse and don't constantly worry about the future and, and, and stress out about the mysteries of, of life and God's plan. God's plan is for his people to enjoy the gifts that he has given you. As Presbyterians, we have our Westminster Shorter Catechism, and question one is, what is man's chief end? And the answer is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Our response to life is joy. Joy in in him, and, and part of our joy in him is joy in his creation, joy in our relationships that he brings into our lives, joy in our work. Verse 10, he says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. And I may have mentioned this before, but that word might in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, it's muchness. Like they didn't have a word for might exactly, but like your gusto, your muchness, do whatever your hand finds to do with your muchness. These joys are our portion in life, Solomon says. So let's, let's be sure to receive it with gratitude. As Foster prayed when we got started this morning, help us to be, remember we have so much to be thankful for. We want to be able to receive these good gifts, these simple things, with gratitude, with thanksgiving, and not be tempted to despair every time something doesn't go the way we think it ought to. We don't have reason to despair, none. We have every reason to rejoice and be joyful. That doesn't mean fake it, right? You know, it's, it's okay to not be okay sometimes. You know, I tell people that all the time because I can relate to that. You know, that, that press-on mentality where you just try to buckle down and steamroll over your emotions and, and you know, pretend nothing's bothering you and, and feel bad about complaining. And let me just say, that it's good to check yourself like that, though, all right? It's good to check yourself that way and not let your emotions rule over you. That's a good thing. That's called self-control. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's a good thing to do, but... We're nine chapters into Ecclesiastes, and we know there are going to be some times where things happen that get us down and really, really shake us up. It's okay to admit that. You don't fake it. You don't pretend those things don't matter. You don't try to callous yourself. We're not called to be Stoics as Christians, but... Our default as Christians 
is not sadness and worry and anxiety or depression. It's joy. That's our default as Christians. And that joy can always be restored to you because it doesn't come from the world. It's not conditioned upon anything but God and his love. And his love for his people is unconditional. Let's look at these last two verses here, verses 11 and 12, where Solomon appears to be bringing us back down again, getting all doom and gloom, talking about death. We have to read it, though, without forgetting what he's just said. Context is important, right? Let's look again at verses 11 and 12. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Doom and gloom. We live an unpredictable life and die an unpredictable death. Pretty much what he's saying. That, that is what he's saying, okay? But we can't suddenly develop amnesia as we move from one verse to the next or from one passage to another. People get really mixed up when, when they read the Bible that way, okay? So let's take what he's already said and see what his point is here. And here it is. Stop winding yourselves up trying to figure everything out. There's a lot of things in life we can't explain, and that seem unfair. They don't make sense to us. But what we're advised to do is not waste our lives and miss the good stuff because we're so hyper-focused on all the evil in the world. Find a wife, he says. Enjoy each other. Have babies. Work hard. Build things. Delight in the gifts God has given you. Receive them with joy and rejoice in them, even in the midst of uncertainty and pain and great evil. And we don't do that by, by centering ourselves and speaking words of affirmation to ourselves, and, and we don't give ourselves little pep talks and, and learn how to love ourselves more. That's what the world does, and it doesn't work. Because the answers aren't in here, they're up there. We remind ourselves of what God has told us. What does God say? Remember how the whole world unraveled in the beginning? God made everything perfect. It was good. Man was without sin, and it all came crashing down with four little words, three in the Hebrew. Did God actually say... You know what God says about joy and rejoicing in the midst of evil? He says he is your good shepherd who sets a table before you in the presence of your enemies, Psalm 23. Not, not, just, when, not just when stuff, is, the world's doing world things and, and we're shocked and appalled by it, but when the world's charging after you, God says, grab a seat at my table. Sit with me and feast. Don't despair. Rejoice. 
because you belong to me. Rewinding a bit, going back to the scripture lesson this morning in John, Jesus says, I have said these things to you. Why? That in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Don't despair, Christian. Take heart. When you're wondering what will happen next, remember what has already happened. Christ has overcome the world. That's what God says. He says, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already proved what you do. He says, enjoy life while you have it. Delight in your work. When we become discontent with those little things that come from the hand of God that, we, that we're meant to enjoy and, and to praise him for, and instead we try to just bulldog our way through life, just stubbornly plow through, trying to get it all to work out according to our will instead of his, and we try to fix things and address things that can't be fixed by us, they require blood, they can't be fixed, they have to be redeemed, we become bitter. We become frustrated and angry and cynical and afraid, and we despair. And that despair wrecks your relationships with other people. And it will wreck your entire outlook on life. That's exactly what the enemy wants, isn't it? God says that you are a redeemed people living in a world that is being redeemed. That's what God says. Don't look around and ask, did God actually say? That's how we got in this mess in the first place. I want to conclude with a story about a, a Christian mother shared this. Uh, she shared a, this video of her little boy. He's in their living room, and he's got his head wedged between a wall and the couch. And he's just, he's just trying with all of his might to plow his way through, and he's getting frustrated, and he's growling. And she says this, she says, he's illustrating the fruitful and abundant life you can have when you follow your own heart. All the life coaches are telling him to never give up, to believe in himself, to pursue his dreams and make this his reality. This is your dream and it's up to you to make it happen. But see that relief on his face when he just turns his back on his stubborn ideas? Oh, look, he says, there's a whole house here to enjoy. A life of freedom and more than a tiny crack to look out of and better company than dust bunnies. If you listen to the world, it will counsel you to despair. It will rob you of joy. It will ruin your relationships with other people and it will crush your outlook on life. If you listen to God, he tells you you can rejoice and enjoy. You can have it, and he wants you to have it, and it will vastly improve your relationships with your, with your friends, with your, with your, your mom or your dad, your, 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 your sons and your daughters, and it will vastly improve your outlook on life. Your redemption, brothers and sisters, is not just your ticket to heaven. It is an invitation to live a transformed life. 
And that life necessarily must be joyful because it is a life that has been redeemed. We're going to sing It Is Well With My Soul in just a minute. Let those words get in here before they come out here. And I'll remind you, some of you may know the story. The man who wrote this hymn lost everything in a fire. And then very shortly after that, his son died of of scarlet fever. And then dealing with that trauma in his life, he sends his wife and his four daughters across the Atlantic to vacation in England. And their ship sank. And all four of his daughters died. He got a telegram from his wife that said, saved alone, what shall I do? And so he decides to catch her up and travel across the Atlantic and meet her in England. And as, as they're going, people on the ship that have heard the news are pointing out the place where the ship had gone down. And he's standing there passing by it thinking, this is where my daughters drowned. These words come to him and he wrote them down. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's a man who in the midst of anguish, who had every reason to despair, rejoiced in his salvation and the sovereignty of his Savior. Let's pray. Father, we confess we have a hard time rejoicing. We have complaints about things we see going on in the world, and we're right to complain. But protect us, Lord, from complaining about how you're running things. You are sovereign, and we are not. Help us receive with gratitude what comes from your hand for our enjoyment and for us to be able to to delight in those things. You've not called us to ignore the world, God, or not to care for it. We should, but remind us that you have overcome it. And what we are witnessing is the painful operation of removing the cancer of sin from your world that you created good. Fill us with the hope and the peace that comes from knowing that. We have that assurance because you gave us your word, and we know your word is truth. May it be done according to your word and to your promise for your glory and the good of all mankind. In Jesus' name, amen.